Welcome to the Living Word Podcast. To find out what we're up to, check us out online at dlwc.network. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Let's see, many of you have heard Bible stories, but you've never heard the story of the Bible. And I want to talk to you about that. Because once you understand just how precious this book we have called the Bible is and how you got it, It's going to make it amazing just to be able to read it and to explore, and we're here to help. We really are here to help you, amen, but you you know, you can start in all kinds of different places in your Bible. I just want you to know, we want to make sure you have clarity. The Word of God is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathway, amen, but this is a confusing world that we live in, and a couple of years ago, I had uh, somebody from my men's team who I adore give me a compass. And if you know how a compass works, it always points north so you can find where north is and then you'll know whether, you know, if your destination is east of you, you know which way to head. And it's important for us to know that the word of God is like a compass for us. In this day and age in which you and I are living, it's important for us to be able to have something that's constant and always accurate. And that's what the word of God is for us. And so our ability then to be able to navigate through life's treacherous pathways today is depending on us having that light in front of us to be able to shine a light right onto our path so we know where we're going is right and it's God. And so how do you know those kind of things? Well, again, the story of the Bible helps us to even show the sovereign hand of God working in the affairs of men to make sure that we had a very great awareness so we can participate with the will of God in the earth. How many of you want to be cooperative with God and not resistant to God. I want to be called a friend of God. I I, I know God loves me. I want him to like me. Come on, how many of you want God to like you? Amen. You say, well, I want to hear the voice of God in 2021. Well, you need to hear the voice of God in 2021. And I'll tell you how to distinguish his voice. And there's a a whole lesson all by itself. But his voice sounds just like the book he wrote. That all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man and the woman of God will be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And so I know that God's going to help us during this series, and I, I'm glad that you're a part of it today. And just as a matter of introduction today, I, I just want you to, to, to understand that if you don't understand or know the story of the Bible, it's easy to count the stories in the Bible. And I want to make sure that you know that story. And so uh, I want to thank Andy Stanley, too, by the way. He did a series on this. And I thought, you know, I learned this in Bible school, and and it was all great information for me. But everybody needs to know this. And so, in any case, thank you, Andy Stanley and and the people at North Point. But we we are today launching out into something I believe is, is paramount to getting your year started in the right direction. As a matter of fact, we've put this on our website. You can actually go to our website and uh, right on our homepage, there's a Bible app. You can go right to the uh, Bible um, uh, app and download it right on your phone just by hitting our website. You can get it off of our Living Word app. We want to make sure that everybody in the Word, come on, we're called Living Word. We ought to be in the Word. Amen. Amen. And so it's important for us. So, so some are not sure that they still believe, and I understand that. I want you to know there are those who are part of our service right now that they're wondering whether the stories that they heard in Sunday school, whether they still even believe those things. Or if you ever went to Sunday school at all, 
or what makes one thing better than the other. I mean, I'm not sure I believe all the stuff that I've read in my Bible. Do you remember your first Bible? How many of you remember your first Bible? How many of you had your name embossed on it? Okay, there's a Christian home people. Amen. I got my, I, I we didn't have a Bible at my house, so we, I got mine from a Gideon out in front of my elementary school. It's a little green New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and, and, uh, and right there it was, a little green Bible. I still have it. I still have it. I got it when I was eight. I never read it, but I, it was precious to me because that old man gave it to me, you know? Thank God I've read them now, amen? I couldn't read that small print, but thank God in the eighth, when I was eight, I could. But you know, when you're a child, you're told, you know, you need to read the Bible, you need to believe it, and you need to model your life after it. And that's kind of where the whole emphasis on Bible reading and so forth. And you know, for me as, as an eight-year-old or even as a young adult, uh, it, just, it just sounded so boring. Like, it's confusing to start with, and I didn't really like to read anyhow, and so forget that. Not knowing that that would be the book that would absolutely change my life. And I'm serious, it absolutely changed my life. And so most of us get our understanding about what's in the Bible from sermons that we hear preached. Matter of fact, there's whole denominations that discourage Bible reading so that you be able to get an accurate understanding from somebody who's scholarly and already understands it and so forth. I'm just here to tell you that the Word of God's for everybody. That most of us have beliefs about the Bible, but a lot of it came secondhand. And so there's, there's, there's some tough topics that are taught there that you didn't get taught in Sunday school. And there's lots of questions that need to be asked. Well, I'm, I'm going to start on Mondays, 7 p.m. I'm going to actually start a Facebook Live Q&A from what I preached on Sunday mornings. So you're invited to be a part of that if you like. There's plenty of space for everybody. Amen? Amen. I know some people that need to be invited to that. Amen. <laughs> But I do want you to understand, I realize today with discouragement and all the rhetoric or something you heard on you know, YouTube or some kind of other blog site or, or whatever, I understand the, the discouragement and the confusion that's out there. And so let's talk about it. Number one, and the, really the only topic I want to talk to you about, where's the Bible come from? Where's it, where's it begin? And so the story of the Bible doesn't start at the beginning. It actually starts in the middle. I'm not talking about the entirety of the story. I'm just talking about your Bible. And the the story really starts in the middle. It's a guy named Luke, Dr. Luke, who actually was a physician. And um, he was a Christian. He followed Jesus. And he'd heard the stories, but there is no Bible. And so without a Bible, everything is just the experience of the Lord, and then after his resurrection, the experience of the eyewitnesses and those who would tell the story. The Bible said in Acts chapter number two, they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine. That is to say, the stories. I was their accounts of everything that happened in the life of Jesus. And so Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He was just a historian and a doctor. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And he writes the, what's called now the book of Luke, but he wasn't writing, listen, the furthest thing from his mind that what he was writing to a guy named Theophilus would ever end up in a book called the Bible. He wasn't writing the Bible. He was writing to a guy named Theophilus. 
who was an aristocratic sort of a fellow who was also a believer, but wanted to know the whole story. He wanted to know, quote, an orderly account of the things that were pertaining to Jesus. And so Luke starts this, this writing to Theophilus, and, he, and he's interviewing. Luke has interviewed eyewitnesses and people that were right there, heard Jesus talk, watched him do what he did, and then he, he brings all of these things of the life, the words, and the work of Jesus to a guy named Theophilus. And so Luke had, again, no idea that this would ever be canonized, there's a big word for you, we'll cover later, and it, that it would be actually ta biblia, which means the books. He, he never knew that. And so Luke chapter number one, this is uh, in your Bible, amen, that at this time didn't exist. Luke chapter number one, verse one through four, and this is what he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they've been handed down by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Say eyewitnesses. So he, he's recording those who were there, and he's asking them story and writing them down. And they were also servants of the word. And so, again, there's a, there is a, a, there is no occasion in history where there has been so many things written, so many different accounts written about one particular historical character. And there's four about Jesus. You think he came and made an impact? But very rarely, virtually never in antiquity is one account recorded in four different eyewitness accounts and published so broadly. It's never happened. And so only with Jesus, it makes him unique regarding the fact that his story is so well published, and we'll get into why here in just a moment. This is what it says in verse number three. Again, this is Luke chapter number one. He says, with this in mind, since, we, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, so again, he's a historian, he's asking questions, from the beginning to declare and to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the things, certainly of the things that you have been taught. And so I want you to know that the things you've been taught, that those things are now something I'm going to explore in an orderly fashion. And so here he goes. And so, so Luke's not the only one who's written the orderly account. Luke has definitely written, but again, he's not writing the Bible. He's writing to Theophilus. And so first of all, with regard to where the Bible come from, Luke tells us how and why the Bible began. And Jesus did and said some, some pretty marvelous things. How many of you know Jesus did some great things? Amen. See, the problem with what Jesus did and what he said, he said a lot about himself. Now, the problem is when you get crucified, it's game over if you're the son of God in the minds of those who were there. They think, man, he claimed all this stuff, and he's a water-walking, dead-raising son of God, and so forth. Now, we watched him so brutally beaten and killed, there's no coming back from that. It is game over. Whoever was following ain't following no more. And they're hiding out and so forth, afraid they're going to get the same treatment that they saw the invincible master experience. Game over. 
If, there is no, if the story ends at a Roman crucifixion, there is no story. There is no Bible. There is no Luke seeking for answers. There, there, there's no New Testament. There's no Old Testament for that matter. If it, if it ends there, it, it is over. And there's a couple of guys that show up. One was Joseph of Arimathea, a very aristocratic, uh, kind of a, a Supreme Court kind of an individual for this culture. And then there was also uh, Nicodemus. He shows up in John chapter number three. Nicodemus was also there. And out of respect for Jesus, and because Jesus, undeniably a good man, just said too much about himself, and boom, he's dead. So they take him down, they put him into a borrowed tomb. And, and so forth, just out of respect for him being such a good man and, and, and so forth. And so here, here we go. And so chapter 22, verse 53, this is the book of Luke. Then they took down the body, wrapped him in linen clothes, placed him in a tomb. Why'd they put him in a tomb? Because he's dead. Then 55, verse 55, women came to embalm the body. Okay, they came to anoint his body with spices and, and perfumes and so forth. So why would, why, would they, why would they do that? Well, because he's dead. It's important for you to know that there's no Christians yet. Only disillusioned, broken-hearted followers that were following something, gave up three years of their life and so forth, and it seems like now it's just all over. Again, if the story ends at crucifixion, there is no story. There is no Bible. There's none of these things. But it didn't end at the cross. Luke writes because he's been seen alive. Now, once Jesus came back, his followers went buck wild. They came roaring out of that upper room. They came preaching. They faced down the ones that crucified and sentenced Jesus, brutally beaten, that so traumatized all of them. And they came and faced those boys and said, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Luke records what Peter said to the Sanhedrin. I mean, nose to nose with these boys, says God raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the whole thing. We saw it. Come on, somebody. Now, they didn't know if they'd throw them right onto the same cross that Jesus just died on. They, they didn't know any of that. All they knew was full of the Holy Spirit. The story is true, and you didn't put the lights out. You put the lights on. You made it possible for him to save the whole world, and they just, 3,000 people got saved that day. It's good, good sermon. Good sermon. We are witnesses, and the church is born that beautiful day, but still no Bible. And so they're hearing the stories, and the stories are being passed along. Ephesians, or excuse me, Acts chapter number two, they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer. And so they were having fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, all the different things they were doing. And they were praying for one another, sharing the story, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church is born. And so then... Luke writes a second letter to a same guy, Theophilus. He said, by the way, the story didn't stop. 
The story continued, and for 30 years, Luke begins to investigate all of the things that were happening. Now, the, the move of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says. Luke, this is the first, first part of the book of Acts, chapter 1. And it says, The former treatise have I made unto thee, O Theophilus, of the things that Jesus began to do. In other words, he ain't done. Come on, somebody shout, he ain't done. Of the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Why? Because the book of Acts continues. Acts continues. The acts of the Holy Spirit through a church that's born again. Born of the Spirit of God. It's the same Spirit, Romans 8 says. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. (laughs) Problem. They didn't have Romans 8 back then. Didn't show up, show up till the gospel got to Rome. And then there'd be some Roman Christians for Paul to write to. None of this stuff was available. Just the story of Jesus and whatever Old Testament prophecies would confirm Messiah would come just like he came. And there are thousands of prophecies in the Old Covenant to tell just like Jesus would come. Y'all remember the, the Christmas story that, that after Jesus was born and uh, he had been basically um, by an angel sent to Egypt and the, and the, the angel came and, and, and told him all, all about the fact that, you know, that God was going to bring him back to his homeland. But the Magi saw that star up in the eastern sky. Y'all remember that? The wise men, the Magi. And so... The Bible says they saw the star in the east and they'd come to worship him. And Herod, the king, asked, you know, how, how'd you know? How'd you know? And they went and asked the scholars, the Old Testament scholars, when Messiah was supposed to come. And they told him where he would be born and all these different kinds of things that would be happening. Why? Because it was Old Testament. There was, there was writings of the Old Testament prophets. Now, there's no such thing as an Old Testament. It's just the law and the prophets. That's all there is. And so they're drawing off of that. And that's the way that church life kind of went. And so the church is born and they're writing letters to one another, documenting these precious things. And Luke, by the way, is a friend of John and of Peter and of Matthew. And he's, he's, a, he's a friend of all of these guys and traveled with the apostle Paul. Pretty, pretty cool. This guy was well studied and a lot of experience. And so he's drawing in all these facts, been on these church planting journeys with the Apostle Paul. And Christianity, even secular scholars say that, historians say that Western culture was shaped by Christianity, no doubt. Because the, tr- the story just traveled throughout the earth supernaturally. God was just from community to community, the gospel was going forth. And so Luke wasn't the only one that did that. He, again, some of his friends did it too. Matter of fact, he says, Luke chapter number one, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that, we've, that were fulfilled among us. And so he said, there's been a lot of people writing about this, and I'm writing to you, Theophilus, to let you know about it. And so the question is, why is there so many? Um, let me put it this way. Writing was expensive back then, so you were peeling bark off a tree to do it. Okay? And so paper was expensive, and most people didn't read. And so with that, why are you writing this orderly account of the things that we've both seen and heard? And I'll just tell you why, and we've already discussed it. Something absolutely extraordinary has happened. 
and it cannot fade into the mist. Everybody needs to know this story because it's for those who were before, those who are experiencing it now, and those who are to come. Aren't you glad they did? And so the story was worth preserving. And so they wrote it down. And the disciples were not getting any younger, certainly. And they were threatened all the time because they were just bold as lions. And so their lives were being threatened all the time. And so AD 30 or, or 50, Luke writes this, this uh, post-resurrection story. And he's, and he's writing, and, and Peter, Peter writes his version of the whole thing. Do you know Peter wrote a gospel? It's called the Gospel of Mark. Understand that Peter may not have been able to read and write himself, but he dictated it to a guy named John Mark who also appears in the book of Acts. And so it's interesting how all this thing works. And then Matthew, Matthew writes an account of the gospel and he's writing it to the Jewish among us. And so there's more quotations out of the Old Testament in the gospel of Matthew more than any other of the gospels in the, in the accounts. Peter's uh, account or Mark, the gospel of Mark, that it's the shortest of the gospels and it's filled with miracles in the first chapter. I mean, it's like powerful, exciting, right to the point like a fisherman kind of would. Pull that fish out of the sea, let's go. You know? Matthew, ever, he takes a long time to explain the genealogies of Jesus. He takes a long time to dis discuss his pedigree and how he came in and what his birth was like and the fact that he would be the Messiah from an Old Testament standpoint. He was bringing Old Testament right into the Messiah coming and then talking about all those different kind of things. He would make the Mosaic Law clarifications in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And he's making all these clarifications. He's speaking to Jews. Powerful. Hmm. This is the one we were waiting for. That's Matthew's point. And then John. John, you're old. How come you're writing another one? He, all the disciples were martyred, except John. They couldn't kill him. He wouldn't boil. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't kill him. So they stuck him on an island called Patmos and said, there you go. Spend the rest of your days out there, old dude. Preach to the snakes. John, how come you're writing another one? And John answers his own question. I don't want you to get this now. John chapter number 20, John in verse 30 and 31, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not recorded in what I'm writing to you. This book, but book is kind of a misnomer. It's not a book. He's just writing a letter. He said many other signs. Jesus performed among his disciples that are not presently recorded. In other words, this is just part of the story. He did lots more. But these are written. Now, why are they written? Because we want future generations to get the story. We're not just going to use the story to pass it along. How many have ever played that game where you, you say a, a sentence and then you move it around the circles, whisper into people's ear, and then find out what it was at the end of the circle? Anybody ever play that game? Okay, a bunch of bored people. Okay. <laughs> Finding something to do. Quarantine. So. Six foot apart, of course. Kind of hard to whisper when you're six foot apart all the time. I'm sorry. You might as well laugh. You might as well laugh. Hallelujah. Evidently, you're not too upset about it. You're here. <laughs> Amen. Good to have you. 
<laughs> For those of you online, I'm just having a little bit of time with my pals here. John was saying, I need the future generations to know the real story from the eyewitnesses. John said, I saw him with my eyes. I leaned upon his chest at, at, at dinner. I'm telling the story. Matter of fact, John's gospel, he made sure to add this phrase, I was his favorite, the one that Jesus loved. John's writing it. Don't you find that amusing? The one whom Jesus loved. Like Moses called himself the most, the, the most humble man on the face of the earth, and he's writing it. <laughs> I find that amusing. But John was saying, listen, I not only saw him, I knew him intimately. I knew him right hands on. I was there. I was in the boat. I was on the shore. I was in the crowds. I watched the whole thing. And I'm writing it down for future generations. He says, but these things are written so that you, that is everybody, th those present and those yet to come in future generations, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Messiah for the Jews, Son of God for the Greeks and the whole rest of the world. In other words, this story is for everyone. And that by believing... This story that I'm writing you right now, that you may believe that, that, and have life in his name. Yes. Yes. Why'd John write another one? So we would believe and have life. Amen. Because without him, he that has the son, John said later, he that has the son has life. Yes. He that doesn't have the son doesn't have life. So no matter what, you have experienced, John says, I've got the it for you. You say, what do you mean it, Pastor Pat? Because people will say to me, I'm not sure I believe it anymore. Well, what part of the it don't you believe anymore? Where's the struggle? Because John said, I've got the it and this is all you need. John's account, he's saying in what I'm writing right here, there is no Bible. But what John's reading to, writing to whatever, whoever's reading this, John says in John's account, in John's account you have all you have. If that's all you have, then John's account is all you need. Does that make sense? John was saying, you might not have Old Testament, you might not do a theological exhaustive study on everything written in the Old Covenant and plus all these other letters that have been written. He said, if you just get this, I'm gonna write this about Jesus so that if you get this and you believe, you're gonna have life. He was so confident that the story that he was writing would change lives because Jesus had done something extraordinary for all of us. And if you just hear the story and believe, it's gonna bridge into the grace of God that'll do powerful transformations in your life. And he knew it in the telling of the story. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul put it this way, in the foolishness of preaching, God has ordained that men everywhere should repent. Through the foolishness of telling the story. Just tell the story. I'm telling you, church, of Jesus Christ, you don't have to stand on one of these to tell the story. They didn't wait for a preacher to tell the story. They didn't go to the Bible's College of Peter. 
Peter was a fisherman. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, they said they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge that they'd been with Jesus. You can tell when you've been with Jesus. You can still tell when you've been with Jesus. Amen. And so at the end of the first century, there's still no Bible, but now there's thousands and thousands of believers. Matter of fact, you don't even, you don't even get out of Acts chapter number four before there's 8,000 believers that have come to Jesus by number. Somebody said, well, numbers aren't important. What are you talking about? There's a Bible book called Numbers. I think numbers are important. There's lots of numbers in your Bible. But thousands of believers, and now there's thousands of copies because they would take these written copies by, by Matthew and by John and they would and Luke, and they would take these and they would write and they would copy them, transpose them, and then send another copy, and they'd write another copy, and they'd send it to another place so that the word could get out, the accurate eyewitness account of the things that Jesus did. And so they would circulate them around. So imagine what would happen. I mean, you've heard the stories. You've got a whole bunch of people. They've never seen anything of any writing of an eyewitness, but they've heard the stories, and there's believers everywhere. And all of a sudden, in comes a believer with something glorious. And it's a copy of what John wrote, an eyewitness of the detailed accounts of the Lord we serve and love. Can you imagine the exhilaration of these little believers? You mean they were there? That he was there when Jesus said that? Look what he said. I mean, it wasn't red print yet, but it was print. Imagine the emotional explosion that would take place. Of, this, is an, I, this is details about the Savior that we've been worshiping. And so from the beginning, these things were considered valuable. They were considered reliable. These were eyewitness accounts. And there wasn't one of them. There was four of them. And besides the stories of other eyewitnesses that, did, that weren't canonized, they're not, they're not gospel, but there's other stories of people who were also there. Jesus didn't just have 12. I remember he, he ordained and sent out 70 more. And well, they all wrote about it. And so they were considered sacred and inspired. And later on, they would be considered scripture, the word of God. And then comes the Roman Empire. And Christians in the Roman Empire, because they were polytheistic, now what polytheistic means is that they worship many gods. Many, poly means many. And so, so polytheism said there's a God for this and a God for that and a God for everything. And then if we didn't run out of God's, an emperor, as long as he's alive, he's considered a God too. And so toss little grain offerings at them occasionally, a little bit of money and so forth, toss an offering at them and we'll keep the gods happy and we'll have a happy life. That was the way the Roman Empire worked. Problem, Christians don't toss offerings at, at, at gods they don't believe in. That's right. So they didn't offer offerings to, quote, the gods, and they didn't offer them to, to Caesar either. And so now Romans and polytheism makes you extremely superstitious. In other words, if things aren't going right, 
good or if something good, the gods are happy. And matter of fact, I've heard this on the PGA watching golf, that the golf gods are smiling on so-and-so, and I wanted to say, you're an idiot. I know they're not serious, but don't say it then. Amen. So in 303 AD, there's Emperor Diocletian becomes the emperor, and things start to go awry. And so the worst persecution in the history of the world began. And Diocletian began to kill Christians because something bad happened. I mean, if it rained or if it, if it rained too much or if it didn't rain enough, it's the Christians' fault. They're ticking off the gods because they don't offer offerings. And so that, that's pretty much the way the whole thing rolled out. These are the sweetest people, probably the best citizens in the whole Roman Empire. But these are superstitious leaders and, an, and a demon-possessed emperor. And so if, if you had a house of worship, because there were so many people flocking to Jesus in Rome that they built places to, to be able to gather that would hold everybody. And they would share in the word and so forth. And so, and so they would, the emperor Diocletian, he, he raised every single one of them, wiped them out. Assemblies were illegal in the name of, of Jesus. Bishops had to recant their faith or die. And, mil, and thousands of them died in Rome and around the Roman Empire. And all Christian literature had to be rounded up and burned. And if you were caught with it and didn't turn it in to be burned, you were killed and you got to watch your family die before you did. Diocletian persecution. And listen, these people were giving their lives in willing martyrdom for a fragment of what we call the Bible. Just a piece of it. Maybe a page of it. And they were giving their lives for a fragment of what you call a Bible. The reasons why the documents survived is because the second, third, and fourth century believers had confidence that what had happened in the first century told about Jesus Christ was not only extraordinary but life-changing for anyone who ever believes it. And so we must keep the accurate documents alive because they were eyewitnesses and we have got to push this towards the public. They've got to know what Jesus has done. And even during that time of horrible persecution, Christianity grew. It still spread. And then finally Diocletian died. And a guy named Constantine the Great came on the scene as the emperor of Rome. And he got the gospel. And Constantine believed the gospel. And persecution ended. The properties were returned and, and so forth. The hostilities all went down. A.D. 30, uh, 324, Constantine, he begins to restore freedom and allow Christians to worship together. And Christians became, Christianity became the preferred religions. Now, that's a whole other story all by itself. How many of you know you don't get a say because you walk into a great big baptism and walk out the other side? How many of you know you got to believe to be a Christian? Amen. Amen. If you don't believe on the way in, all you come out is a wet sinner. And so they, they weren't the Roman Empire. That, oh, we believe in Jesus. We'll add him to our other list of gods and throw grain offerings at him too. And so there was some work to be done. How many of you know there was work to be done? But they went from persecution and by the mercy of God, and I think for the Bible, 
many reasons, but primarily for the Bible, Constantine becomes a convert and suddenly something begins to happen. A liberty comes to where conscientious scholarly believers would begin to collect all the circulating documents and begin to read them and study them and begin to put them together, which was the beginnings of what's called Ta Biblia, the books. And you're going to have to find the rest of it out the next week. <laughs> but here, listen, here's the story. Think of what extraordinary lengths God went to make sure that you get his story. We haven't even talked about, if, if this is all true, what's the backstory? Jesus quotes from the Old Testament all the time, and the Greek world was wondering, where's he quoting from? And so they began to investigate the Old Testament. That's the reason why the Old Testament's even included in the canonization, because it all was pointing from the very beginning to the coming of the Messiah. And a church being born and lives being transformed. Listen, I'm telling you what has taken thousands of years to get to you. And if it's 2,000 years old, it's just as fresh as the moment that it came off of the lips of the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And John said, if all you've got's my letter, it's enough to believe the Son of God is the Messiah, the Son of God, and have life in his name. He that has the Son has life today. Don't put it off another day. The gospel has come your way. Bow your heads with me, all of you. All of you online right now, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're, maybe you're watching this by yourself or maybe in a crowded room, wherever you're watching this right now. The appeal of the Lord Jesus himself is to you. He went to all these lengths to be able to tell you maybe today for those of you who've been wandering and you're believing, maybe it's that time where you're saying, I need to recalculate, Pastor. I'm going to do this month with you through learning where the Bible came from. I'm going to find out what lengths God went to make sure I knew about Jesus, about how that he wants to transform my life and change me. I'll stick with you, Pastor Pat. I want you to stick with us. Just give me the month. Matter of fact, even fast and pray if you're sincere and you're wondering, questions are not bad. Going to the right source for answers is the right thing to do. And I want to show you that the source called the Bible is a reliable source, the reliable source. But in just a moment, I want you to have the benefit of having the teacher, the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of you while you're doing your investigation. Because one moment of faith, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart we believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Here's the story. God wants to save you today from what would otherwise condemn you forever. And it's all in the book. 
But today, the Holy Spirit is the one who reaches out to draw our hearts to God. And if you're in this room and you feel the drawing of God, maybe it's part of the heroic history of the voices of thousands of martyrs who said the story is true and it may cost my life, but I'm going to spend my life eternity with Jesus and made them willing to do that because they'd heard the story. If you're in the room today and you say, Pastor Pat, I don't want to go one more day without knowing the Savior that is celebrated throughout the world, that he is the Lord of my life. Not just the king of everything, but the Lord of my life. I need to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of who I am and begin this journey with a God who went to such great lengths not only to do what he did, but to go and tell me about it. And so today, if you're in the room or you're watching on the, online right now in our service, you say, Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of that prayer. Pray for me. Today's my day to say yes to the Son of God. If that's you, in just a moment, we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to invite you forward. just going to ask you to pray. But I want to know who I'm praying for, and that includes those of you online. And if you'll just touch that raise the hand button on your screen right there on your computer, just touch that button say, Pastor, count me in. I need Jesus in my life. And if those of you who are in the room today, you say, Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of that prayer today. Pray for me. If that's you, wherever you're at, in the privacy of this moment, just lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you today. God bless you all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Six, seven, eight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, you may put your hands down. Thank you. God is good. Pray this prayer with me, everybody, out loud and together. And those of us online, dear God in heaven. I come in the name of Jesus. I believe in you. And I give my life to you. With all I know, I want to trust you to be the Lord of who I am. I repent for my sins. I believe you died in my place. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life. Teach me what that means. Show it to me in your word, and I'll never be the same again. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Come on, give me a good amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at LWC Dayton and on Facebook at Living Word Dayton.